I am going to unpack a message this morning on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I I want you to be aware there there are some portions of Scripture I'm going to read, chunks of Scripture as we're going through this, and so you might want to there's there's Bibles right right in front of you, so if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one right there, and I encourage you to follow in the Scriptures we're reading, and um, also. Um, I want you to understand that um, this, this isn't just to take up time <laughs> to make my message longer or something. But um, the, the purpose really here is I understand that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The Word, the Word of God. So my goal here, if, if, you don't, if you don't hear anything else that Dave Ogren says this morning, wonderful. But if you hear God's Word then that's significant, that's powerful. And I believe that out of the word this morning will come faith. And uh, how, many, how many would like to experience the wind of the Spirit this morning? Huh? Yeah, me too. All right, so that's, that's where we're going, that's where we're at. And uh, we are... Uh, uh, I just, just kind of know where, where... So you know where I'm heading on this. My, my desire this morning, so, some of you have never experienced uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've never experienced the upon of the Spirit. And, and my prayer is that this morning you will experience that. Others of you have, and it's, but your well is dry. And, and I'd love to see your well filled up. Others of you have, have had some kind of hindrance in the air of spiritual language. Love to see that just... Uh, you know, break break loose this morning. Others of you have, have kind of gotten stu- stuck in a rut when it comes to spiritual language, and I'd like to see the Holy Spirit lead you even into new languages. Does all that sound okay? Yeah. All right, all right. So that that's kind of where we're heading this morning, and uh, this is this is uh, you know sometimes I preach short, as you know. Sometimes I preach long. It's probably a little longer. Um, so uh, let's go. All right. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, God. Um, I always am honored to share your word. And uh, I pray that we will do your word justice this morning. And I, I just pray, oh God, this morning that you would cause your wind to blow and your fire to fall anew upon all of us here today. Thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the beautiful worship we've enjoyed already. Thank you, Lord, for um, a beautiful baby dedication for little Priscilla this morning. Thank you for all that's already happened in this house today. Bless now our time around your word. May it be fresh bread for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to read something. This goes back a few years. December 4th, 1994. Okay. Believe it or not, this was in the Sunday 
St. Paul Pioneer Press of uh, December 4, 1994, and it said it was an article on Pentecostals. And uh, this is just a part of it. Pentecostalism, a religion defined by a sort of speaking in tongues along with practices such as spiritual healing and personal testimony, is the fastest growing faith in the world. Sketching on from China to to the Catholic enclaves of Latin America, from Africa to every corner, corner of America, it's winning converts more quickly than the highly heralded Islamic revolution. It's cutting deep into the already ravaged ranks of Catholics, Methodists, and other churches, and has done all this so quickly and quietly that few saw it coming or know much about this age-old faith. Um, um, yeah. Taken together with like-minded charismatics, Pentecostalism already has as many as 450 million adherents, and at the current rate of growth, with an estimated 50,000 new members a day, one in three Christians will be Pentecostal by early next century. Pentecostalism's appeal, religion watchers say, lies in services where worshipers personally connect with God, take biblical prophecies literally, and see religion making a tangible difference in their lives. Harvey Cox, a professor at Harvard Divinity School, said this, part of what he said, the period we're going through is very, very similar to what we called the Protestant Reformation. The difference is that the Reformation was pretty much restricted to one little part of Europe. Pentecostalism is a worldwide movement. And what was said in 1994 uh, has only dramatically expanded, especially outside of the Western world. And and so we are seeing uh, much of the world that is Christian now Really, many different denominations, by the way. You know, not not one denomination. Many, many different denominations. Many of them old-line denominations. But but in spite of being old-line denominations, many of them are Pentecostals in practice. And 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 so uh, and so we're a part of this, of, of of probably the largest Christian movement in the world. All right. So Pentecostalism isn't this weird little corner of Christianity. It it, it really is something that's huge in the world today. Matthew chapter 3. I'm just going to read one verse here. Uh, These are John's words. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I doubt that John really understood the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even though he prophesied about it. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't think he knew what that meant. However, we how many think that Jesus knew what that meant? Yeah, yeah, I think I think Jesus knew what that meant. And so uh, Jesus makes these kind of statements. John 14. Um, when the Father sends the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and remind you what I told you. John 15, 26. He will testify of me. John 16, 7. It is best for you that I go away. What an amazing statement. It is best for you 
that I go away. For I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus said, it's better that I go to heaven because when I go to heaven, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. That's, that's how Jesus looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will convince the world of sin, of God's righteousness, and of coming judgment. Now, when you look uh, through the Gospels, you see how essential the Holy Spirit was to the life and ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, we see Gabriel saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. We see in John chapter 1, at, at, at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit, what? Descends like a dove upon Jesus. Notice that. He descends like a dove upon Jesus. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He returns by the power of the Spirit. Mark chapter 12, Jesus casts out demons by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, He taught by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 10, Jesus ministered with power, healing all that were oppressed. Because, why? God had anointed Him with the Holy Spirit. So we see the centrality of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of Jesus' life and ministry. Now I want to... The first building block is very important that we understand, especially as Pentecostals, is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to salvation. We already heard that it's the Holy Spirit that convinces us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that testifies of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. And in this context, the truth of the Gospel. Without question, Ephesians 2, for by grace we've been saved through faith that not of ourself. Alright? It is the gift of God, not of worse. Conviction was the gift of God. The Holy Spirit revealing Jesus to you was the gift of God. The Holy Spirit revealing the truth of the Gospel to you. The gift of God. It is all the gift of God. And so when we respond to the grace of God, found in Jesus, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. A miracle occurs in our lives. It's supernatural. In many ways, it's unexplainable. And, and, and we, need to, we need to see and understand that. John chapter 3, you can turn there with me this morning. John chapter 3, we're going to read, read a few verses here, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. There was a man named Nicodemus a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee, after dark one evening and came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Now, I want you to know that here he's not talking about about baptism when he talks about being born of water. He's talking about natural birth. He says, no one enters the kingdom of God unless you are naturally born and spiritually born. Those two factors. We don't have uh, spirit babies in heaven who were never born on earth. Okay? How many are with me? All right, you understand that? Okay, so, so, so he says, you know, the only way you enter heaven is if you are born naturally and you are born spiritually. 
All right? Um, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind come, but, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can explain how people are born of the Spirit. And it is a miracle, isn't it? It is a miracle. And we can't really explain it fully and completely. How it is that when this process of conviction comes, uh, the conviction of sin, the revelation of Jesus comes, uh, the revelation of the truth of the Gospel comes, we respond to that. How is it that the Spirit of God causes us to be born again? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, a couple... Was the last Sunday we talked about the the uh, the Romans seven, you know, where Paul talked about uh, about uh, once I was alive, but then the law came, and when the law came, I died. What died? His spirit died, and it's that at salvation, your spirit comes back to life. It's resurrected. Your spirit is resurrected. You are triune. You are body, you are soul, or and, and you are spirit. Or like some like to say, you are spirit, <laughs> starting from the inside. You are soul, mind, emotions, and will, and your body. Okay? And, and, and lots of people are out there walking around today that are, that are dual. They are body and soul. They're mind, emotions, and will. They're thinking. They're, they have emotions that function. They're, they have two parts that are functioning, but their spirit is dead. Your spirit is that, that part that is connected to God, that part that communicates. God communicates with you, you communicate with God, primarily in your spirit realm. Before you come to Christ, God communicates with your soul. Okay? All right? So he speaks to your mind. He speaks to your emotions. He speaks to you in that realm by his grace. And through that process, the scripture here says that something happens. And, that, and Jesus says, we are born again by the Spirit of God. Alright? Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His Son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Amen? Amen. By giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, and by the way, he's speaking to believers here. As a believer, you can still allow your sinful nature to control your mind. That can still happen. Okay, But it will lead to what? It will lead to death. That's what he says here. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. 
For the sinful nature is always hostile to God and it never did obey God's laws and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. That's a lie of the enemy that says as a believer you are controlled by that. You can give it to him, but you're not controlled. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Okay, so Jesus in John 3, Paul, Romans, very clear here, every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. Alright? Some who who aren't Pentecostals, would say that we don't teach that. We don't believe that. We do believe that. We believe that every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The Holy Spirit dwells within every born-again believer. It's nothing to do with spiritual language. It has nothing to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It has to do with being born again by the Spirit of God. And when you are born again by the Spirit of God, your body becomes... The temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God... Listen, because we are His children... Not because we are Pentecostals. Not because we've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Okay, so when you became a child of God, all of a sudden, there is that internal awareness that you are now a child of God, and God is your Father, and you are God's child. How many are grateful for that this morning? Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. We are all, if you are saved, how many are saved today? The Holy Spirit is in you. Isn't that wonderful? You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20, Paul deals with this. And, and, and he's really dealing with it in the context of sin. And he says, you know, and he's talking about fornication, he's talking about adultery, and he's talking about the misuse of our bodies. And he's saying, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit that belongs to God. Okay, so there's no question. If you are a Christian... If you are a child of God, you are to honor God in your body and in your spirit. Not just your mind and emotions, but in your spirit. Because you belong to God and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And that is to be a motivating factor in our life. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says this, And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him And He lives in us. Okay. So that that cornerstone 
of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so essential that we understand that every born-again believer, I don't care what denomination they're a part of, I don't care what church they're a part of, if they have come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, they are a child of God by faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwells within them. All right? We, are we all there? Okay. Then, now, we really can't go on unless we understand that. Because there is... There, there has been an emphasis that it almost causes us to feel uh, uh, an arrogant exclusivity to Pentecostalism that says we are it and nobody else has the Holy Spirit. That's a bunch of baloney, right? That's right. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit. That's why you see people that aren't Pentecostals, sometimes unknowingly to them being led of the Holy Spirit, being powerfully used, being evangelist, at times maybe even being prophetic, flowing in particular areas that, that sometimes they're not even aware of because the Holy Spirit dwells within them. Don't think that you have the Holy Spirit and they don't have the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. Let's say it again. They have the Holy Spirit. Just like you do. Praise God. All right. Now, Historically, all right, the cross, the resurrection has occurred. And Jesus now is giving some of his last words. I, you know, I, I have had the, the awesome privilege at times to, um, over a period of 35 years, to stand at bedsides of family members and, ha- and hear, just kind of step back as families gathering around the bed, and, and hear people share last words. You know, the, how many know those, those are very holy moments, very powerful moments, as, as whoever is there is saying the last things they're going to say on earth. And, and Jesus, one of the last things he says on earth is, I'm going to send you what my father promised, but wait in the city until you have been clothed, some translation says, endued with power from on high. Throw me that jacket right there. Okay. So this is, this is I was going to bring my jacket up, but I, I don't have it, so thank you. So this is, this is what Jesus was talking about. Okay. Boy, it's nice. Thanks. <laughs> okay. No cigarettes in the pocket either. So. <laughs> I checked before I said that. <laughs> so, so, you know, so when the scripture talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all right, it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit coming in, primarily. It talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon. All right? Now, that's significant. All right? Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus experienced. Where? At his baptism. Okay? How many think Jesus was saved? Isn't that a stupid statement? Boy, that's a warm coat. Man, that's nice. Um, but isn't that, you know, Jesus, Jesus was right with God, right? 
All right, all right. So, so the Holy Spirit was where? The Holy Spirit was already dwelling within his mortal body. He had a mortal body, just like you and I. And the Spirit of God dwelt within him. But at his baptism, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Okay, so, so Spirit baptism... And, and you'll see it over and over again. It talks about the upon. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Came upon them. That's, that's the most typical term. He came upon them. So, so spirit baptism talks about the upon of the Spirit. Jesus experienced it. And you are to experience it. Jesus said, why? Why should you experience the upon of the Spirit? So you can speak in tongues? No, that's a side benefit. That is a blessing. Thank God. We'll talk briefly about that this morning. But that's not the reason. The reason for the upon of the Spirit is that He would endue you, clothe you with power. Supernatural power comes through the upon of the Spirit. How many need a little bit more power in your life? Amen. Power to witness. Power to live. Power to treat your wife right. power to treat your kids right, power to have more of the fruit of the Spirit manifested in your life. See, we're not just talking about power in the context of do, but power in the context of be, character. All right? And, and, and too often, the only thing we look at is do. I've seen a lot of people that do, and I can't stand them because character is lacking. You know? They're dishonest, they're, they're this, they're that, whatever. Angry people, whatever, they're... they're Prideful, arrogant. Some of the most prideful, arrogant people I've met in the world are pastors. Oh, God help us. You know. <laughs> How many of you seen a couple prideful, arrogant pastors? All right. I'm not the only one. All right. And somebody said, and I see one right in front of me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Acts 1.4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift uh, my Father promised, which you have heard me speak at, about. For John truly baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In you? In you, yes. Now upon you, spirit baptism. And so the same Spirit that came upon Jesus is now to come upon us. And that's, that's Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4. That whole event. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Let's go there quickly this morning. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think that could happen this morning? Do you really? How many think that could happen this morning? And everyone present was filled. 
Amen. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are stupid. No. That's not what it says. But these people are all from Galilee. That's what they meant. And yet, we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they, they're just junk. They're, they're just drunk. That's all. Then, then, people, then, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and, and, and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you are seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out, I will pour out my spirit upon my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. By the way, there's a distinction there in, in timing. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn to blood. Some of this we haven't yet seen. Before that great and glorious day of the Lord, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. Okay. So that's, that's, that's Acts chapter 2. What was it? It was, it was Pentecost. Pentecost is not, is not a uh, New Testament term. It's an Old Testament term. And it refers to the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was the harvest feast. It was the beginning of harvest. And it was a celebration of harvest, kind of like what we do at Thanksgiving. huh? Very similar to that. And it was also, interesting, it was also the celebration of the anniversary of the giving of the law. And I find it so interesting that, that God chose to pour the Spirit out on the anniversary of the law. Isn't that interesting? There's this wonderful connection between law and Spirit. And, and, and what the law could not do, God has done. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so there's this, there's this interesting connection. And obviously, as, as Peter responds, it's also the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Joel chapter 2. This is 50 days after Passover. This is a specific event. And God chose on this particular event to actually pour out the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came that day uniquely. Was the Holy Spirit already there? Yes. Was the Holy Spirit already indwelling people? Yes. But He came upon those who were hungry and who were willing to wait. He can come... There was 500, you know, of these believers all kind of assembled together at different times. But in the upper room, there was only 120. 
All right? The Holy Spirit was poured out at an unexpected time and in an unexpected way. And Jesus did not give them any preparation concerning manifestations. Isn't that interesting? He did prepare them for fruit. He did, the, he did prepare them that, that, that they would receive power and that they would be witnesses unto Him. More powerfully than ever before. Because the Holy Spirit would come upon them. But He said nothing about spiritual language. He, sp- he said nothing about fire or wind. Sometimes we get all focused on manifestation. And Jesus was not focused on manifestation. He was focused on fruit. And He's more interested in fruit than manifestation in your life. Alright? So when it comes to the upon of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, He is interested that the fruit of that would be seen in your life. Power. Witness. Alright? That's what He's looking for. That's what He's interested in. Now, Peter says, in verse 33, that Jesus was responsible for all that you see and hear. Now, to me, that's, you know, you have to understand that Jesus is kind of radical. All right? He's into wind and fire. Huh? He's into people speaking 15 different languages that they don't even know. You know, I mean, I mean that, you know, he likes that kind of stuff. He does. He likes that kind of stuff. Some of you aren't sure, but it's true. He does. Now, um, I, you know, I, I just feel impressed to share this with you. This, this whole issue of spiritual language is such an interesting thing. Um, when, I was, when I was pastoring up here in Cloquet up the road uh, for nine years, um, you know, God was blessing us with the moving of the Spirit and the church and some really neat things were happening. And, and, and just people spontaneously were coming, as they do here, not only spontaneously, but also plan times for prayer and so forth happen here regularly. And up there, there were people that would come different times of the day, you know, all the time. Well, there was this small group of women that came, to, um, came for early morning prayer just, just you know, because they wanted to. It wasn't, it wasn't a meeting as such. They just, it was a nice place for them to gather for prayer. So they... Uh, they were part of our congregation. They met at our church for prayer. And we were at that time doing Meals on Wheels program out of our basement. And we contracted with the Meals on Wheels program. And it was meals that were sent all over um, the Cloquet Duluth area. And also we had a lunch at our church every day, Monday through Friday. And all kinds of senior citizens came. and, And I had a guy on staff with me who was working with seniors at the time, and so he would always be there for lunch and kind of meeting and connecting with people and had a chance to pray with me. It was wonderful. It was great. Well, the lady that was in charge of the Meals on Wheels program, her name was Lorraine Lane. And she was she was Finn. She was of Finnish descent. She was Lutheran. Wonderful Christian lady. And, and um, uh, this is in her handwriting. I asked her to write it down for me. This was years ago, probably 94 or something like that, but probably about the same time I got that article. I heard about and read about tongues, but never heard anyone speaking in tongues. Then one morning here at church, I heard ladies praying in tongues. I didn't want to interrupt them, 
but still went up to listen. And she told me what she did. They were in this room, and she, she went up and she put her ear on the door so she could hear them praying, you know. And I heard words I understood. Praise to Jesus, not babbling, but clear words. I was amazed. It has never left me. I was blessed. It was Finnish. And none of these ladies knew Finnish. You know, isn't that amazing? How God will do that. How many times that has happened. It's just like Acts chapter 2. You know, heard them speaking praise to God. Okay? This isn't just, okay, it happened then, but it's never happened. It happens all the time. All the time. I've, I've had other experiences like that, but we won't take time to share that this morning. So, um, so here we have this experience. Now, remember, it's fire and wind. Professor Halford Luckuck, who was a professor at Yale University Divinity School way back, 1938. Um, this, is, this is what he says. A blast. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. A good many words are used in the attempt of the various translators of the New Testament to capture something of the quality of the phrase, the wind of God. But every word selected conveys the note of violence. Here we have in the revised version, mighty wind. Weymouth calls it a blast. Moffat translates a violent blast. Cadbury and Lake, a violent breeze. In all this list, there is one word which is absent. No one called it a zephyr. The dictionary defines a zephyr as a light, gentle breeze. Pentecost did not begin with a zephyr. Yet some churches have never known anything but a zephyr. They would, they would capsize under a blast. Their only hymn has been to the mild, soft tinkle of guitars, if on a quiet sea toward heaven I calmly sail. A violent blast is what our world so often and desperately needs from the church. Now that's from a, a professor from Yale University. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, obviously it was a couple years back. All right. What the church needs is not a zephyr. It needs the blast of the Holy Spirit. And I have never seen anyone come into a service where the blast of the wind of the Holy Spirit was blowing. And I've been in a few services like that. I remember one Sunday night in Cloquet, we were all just worshiping God. I'd done preaching. The worship team had come back and, and they were playing. And, and, and all of a sudden, it was like whoosh. And I am not kidding you. I had conservative Finns and Swedes and Norwegians laid out all over the place, feet sticking out of the aisle as they're just in the presence of God. Why? Because when God shows up in genuality, no, we're not talking about manifestation for manifestation's sake. That just makes me nauseous. Who cares about that? You know, I mean, who cares if somebody falls down? I just step over them and go to the next person. I, you know, it's not a matter of focusing on manifestation. But does God come with power and sometimes shows up with wind and fire? Yes! How many like a little wind like that once in a while? Amen. Now, we can't live in that atmosphere with your hair blowing back, 
24 hours a day. I mean, how many know that does not work? All right? All right? God knows that. You die if, if you were experienced that all the time. But, but there are those seasons where the wind goes whoosh, and it's the wind of the Spirit that blows in. And some of us have not experienced that for too long. Too long. Amen. All right. Acts 2 was not the last word on the upon of the Spirit, of the baptism of the Spirit. Acts 8. Um, Philip goes to Samaria. It's the time when, there, when the church is dispersed because of, of Saul's persecution and later became the Apostle Paul. Drives out all the Christians out of Jerusalem. It's all really the work of God to get them out of their holy huddle and get them other places. And Philip ends up in Samaria. And uh, let, let's, just, let's just read a little bit from, from that text this morning. Acts chapter 8. Verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip. Now, remember, he... This guy's just a deacon or, or a ministry coordinator in this context, all right? All right, so he was a ministry coordinator there in Jerusalem. He ends up in Samaria, begins to preach Jesus. Crowds listened intently to him because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Verse 12, but now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Philip, uh, then, then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began fo- following Philip wherever he went and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay. So... Now, these people, all right, in Acts chapter 8, how many believe they were saved? Yes, they were saved. Check. They were saved. Uh, they were not only saved, many of them had been delivered from demons, and, and it says that they were baptized in water. So here, here we, have, we have people who are genuinely born again, who are now baptized in water, and therefore, not because they're baptized in water, but, be, but because they believe now, where is the Holy Spirit? Right here. All right? The Holy Spirit is within them. Peter and John, when he comes down to... When, when they come down, they come down with expectation and anticipation. They come down not only to see that these people are genuinely saved, but that the Spirit of God would come upon them. That was their expectation. And their observation was that He had not yet come upon them. The Scripture does not intimate why they knew that. We can speculate. Probably not good to always speculate, but we could speculate. I won't. 
I have my opinion on that, but it doesn't make any difference because the scripture doesn't say. It just says that they discerned that these people did not yet have the Holy Spirit come upon them. And so what did they do? They intentionally did something. They laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that when they did that, these people received the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that word means? Do you know what it means to receive here? It's not a small word. It means to seize. Seize. Grab. Take. That's what it means. It means to take it. These people, these people didn't just say, well, if the Holy Spirit wants me, I shall find. No, no. These people seized it. They said, I want it. And I will guarantee you, anyone that sees us will receive. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Now, we don't hear anything about tongues here. Nothing. Okay, we did in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, which, by the way, is about eight years later. Okay, so there's, it's, it's not like the next week. <laughs> Okay, so there's considerable time that goes on. So now they've developed kind of a theology concerning the Holy Spirit the New Testament church has. All right? And um, there's all these different terms that we, we see. Promise of the Father, baptized with the Spirit, power with the Spirit comes upon you, so forth. Okay? Different New Testament terms. But And so we see that, that it was not unique to Pentecost, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9. You know, Ananias. Okay? Ananias, what happens? You know, this, this good old boy, uh, you know, in Damascus, God speaks to him and says, you know, uh, I want you to go pray for Saul. The guy's been persecuting all the church. And I want you to lay your hands on him so that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit. And, 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 uh, and Ananias says, are you kidding? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> you know, why not one of the apostles? You know, why why Ananias? You know, God God doesn't just by the way, God 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 isn't into titles. He's into people that are willing to be used. <laughs> Did you hear that? You know, I don't care what title you have, it makes no difference. Is God using you? You know, and, and here's here's this guy, Ananias. You know, it's kind of like the Gideon story in the Old Testament. This guy's hiding, and, and God's, the angel of the Lord comes and says, Mighty man of valor! I mean, it's almost a joke. This guy's hiding. Mighty man of valor. Yeah, right. You know, and, and here, Ananias. Ananias. You go. You go, bud. You go. Talk to this guy. Lay your hands on him. Not Peter. Not John. Why me? Lay your hands on him. That he might receive his sight before the Holy Spirit. He goes and does it and it happens. Now later on we know that Paul says he, he speaks in tongues more than us all. So I mean we know that somewhere along the line the spiritual language came for him. It may have been right then. It may have not been right then by the way. But it may have been right then. Okay? Let, let me just say something. Um, this may be a little bit heretical for some of you. But I, I, I believe... I believe that spiritual language, in a normative sense, often happens at the moment when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes upon people. It's normative. It happens regularly. 
But I don't think it always happens that way. And I think we've been very too dogmatic and rigid on that point. Because we don't see that rigidity in Scripture here. You know, actually about half the time we see tongues immediately and the other times we don't even hear it mentioned. So, you know, but I do, I do believe this. I do believe that spiritual language is... How many like pie? I, I really like pie. I, you know, if you're going to bake me something, bake me a pie more than a cake. Okay, so here we go. Here's a pie, all right? And one of the pieces of that pie is spiritual language. It's not the whole pie. There's all kinds of aspects of being filled with the Spirit. But one of the pieces of that pie is spiritual language. And I will say this to you, that if the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will eventually speak in a spiritual language, if you're open to that, if you have faith for that. Just a quick story. Gordy Jensen was a good old Norwegian, still alive up in Cloquet, and, and, and I, I was preaching on this one Sunday up in Cloquet, not this message, but on, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, but I did mention this area um, that, that some of you have experienced the upon of the Spirit, but you have not yet spoken in tongues. Remain open because it is a part of the experience. Don't, don't be discouraged and say, I've never received anything. The Holy Spirit hasn't come upon me. You know, the, Jesus said, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock on the door will be open to you. And what is the result of that? If we ask, seek, and knock, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? And so, if you ask, this morning, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I know that. Because Jesus said that. If you ask, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you can anticipate spiritual language to be a part of that. If it's not today, be happy. <laughs> you know, don't get discouraged. Keep yourself open. Gordy came up to me after service. I can still see it to this day. I was walking out of the building. It was a beautiful, uh, uh, sunny day. Gordy confronted me as I was walking out to go home. He said, Pastor, he said, I really need to hear that. And I have sensed the Holy Spirit come upon me many times. And I've been so discouraged because I've never spoken in tongues. But he said, you know what? I just got released this morning and I am free. And I'm just going to keep my heart open. And I believe that one day it's going to happen. Do you know? Do you know this? The next day I am in a retired guy's prayer meeting in our church in a circle and I'm sitting here and Gordy's sitting next to me and different guys are leading in prayer and stuff and I hear Gordy over here praying but it didn't sound like Norwegian to me and it certainly wasn't English. So afterwards I came to him and I said, Gordy, what happened? I, it, uh, weren't you praying in the Spirit this morning? He said, yeah. He said, you know what happened? He said, Pastor, he said, I felt so released. He said, I went home and this morning I was, I was by the couch and I was having my devotions and I had my Bible open and, and I was just praying and worshiping the Lord and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. <laughs> and I said, tongues is a part of this. Maybe it will happen right now. You know, all of a sudden he begins to speak in tongues. You know, all right. So it's it's not difficult. Why does it sometimes take time? I've had many people 
that, I mean, they've sought God, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's come upon them, I've seen the fruit of that in their life, but they haven't spoken in tongues yet. And then one day, boom! And some of those people, you know, when we had that whoosh of the Spirit on that one Sunday night, and everybody was kind of like, like, you know, flaked out like, like, like wood all over, the, all over the building, you know, there were people that spoke in tongues that day that had never spoken in tongues before. That, had, that I know, by personal experience, that I know the Holy Spirit had come upon them long before that. So, so it, it, is, it, is, it is wonderful. It's a part of it. Um, but, but, but here we see New Testament theology. New Testament theology was, yes, sometimes it happens sovereignly, as it did. As it did in Acts chapter 2. As it did in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Here's a bunch of Gentiles. Peter's there. It's a wonderful story. He's preaching to these people and, and they, and they, and they hear the word of God and they receive it in their hearts and, and, uh, simultaneously they are saved and they speak in tongues all at the same time. Is there anybody here that that happened to you? Raise your hand. Wow! Praise God! That's great. That's wonderful. You know, I often ask that, and almost always there's one, two, three, or four that uh, people that say, yes, that happened to me. And so, you know, that's a biblical experience. And the Holy Spirit came on them, and they were saved. The Holy Spirit came in them and came upon them. All at the same time, they got the whole nine yards all at once. Amen. Praise God. And it's biblical. But does it happen like that all the time? No. So if we have a rigid theology that says this is the way it's supposed to be, which is what the United Pentecostal Church says. Basically, the United Pentecostal Church says that if you have not yet spoken tongues, you are not yet saved. We don't believe that. Okay? Because they say it's got to be all at one time. Or you don't have anything. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? I'm glad I don't believe that. Alright, so, so, so that's Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 19, it's in Ephesus. Years later now. Ephesus. Okay? Paul goes to them. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Since you believed. These are believers. They said, Who? The Holy Spirit? We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. He said, Oh my goodness. What were you baptized under? They said, John's baptism. Oh, we gotta, we gotta go way back. So he goes way back, teaches them about, about, uh, New Testament baptism. You know, because now it's not, okay, here's the cross. Okay, here's the cross. One, one side of the cross over here, all right, was, was, was the Jewish people that were looking towards the coming of Christ. And that was, that was the baptism of repentance that John taught. Okay? Christians look at this side of the cross. They look at the finished work of Jesus, the resurrection, the power of Christ uh, has, has been accomplished. Okay? So it's a totally different kind of a baptism. And, 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 and so he rebaptizes them in the name of Jesus. And then, what does he do? He lays hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says that they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Okay, so I, I, I really do believe that the connection of those things are normative, normative, but not necessarily always at the same time. Why is spiritual language wonderful? I mentioned this last week when we talked about prayer. And by the way, that's what, what kind of instigated this message this morning. Was just that comment, and then I had a couple people come for person last Sunday morning. It just confirmed to me that I need to to kind of walk through this. Spiritual language is important, not primarily as an evidence. 
is not primarily evidential. I know the Assemblies of God teaches that. The Assemblies of God says that, that unless you've spoken in tongues, you've not received yet the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I really don't believe it is that rigid. I believe there are many people that have experienced a genuine upon of the Spirit, but they yet have not yet entered into tongues. And I, I want to say to you, keep pressing in. Why? Because you need the lapel pin of tongues that says, I did it. No, you don't need the lapel pin. I don't wear lapel pins. You know, I don't believe in lapel pins. Okay, so tongues is not your lapel pin. Tongues is a powerful... Terry's not here. Terry, Terry has a Corvette. How many, how many like to drive a fast car? You know, of course, under the speed limit, but I mean fast car. Okay, yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I remember this guy in Iowa, Dan Herbranson, I, Dick Herbranson, Dan's brother. Dick just bought a brand new Corvette, and he come by my house, and he said, Pastor, I just picked this up. Let's go for a ride. So we went out in the country for a ride, and he pulled off the side of the road. He says, okay, you drive. You know, it was a stick shift. I, oh, wow, this is fun. You know, so I got it. And isn't it fun? Isn't that fun? You know, got going, started slow, and got in first gear. Isn't that fun? How many like that? Ah, I love it. It's fun. It's great fun. All right. So, 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 you know, we're flying down the road, and I look in my rear view. Thankfully, there was no police car because I was way over the speed limit. But, but, you know, I mean, that's what happens in prayer. When you go from intellectual prayer to praying in the Spirit, all of a sudden you're shifting gears and you're moving into a new realm of prayer, and the Holy Spirit is praying through you according to the will of God. That's why you want spiritual language. Forget the lapel pin. Who cares about that? But we, I want it. Because I tell you, there have been more times than I can count that I thought, man, my knowledgeable prayer doesn't cut it. I need to move into a deeper realm of prayer right now. And I am thankful that the Holy Spirit will pray through me according to the will of God. Let's stand. Praise God. Hallelujah. James and the worship team is going to come. And um, uh, this morning, we're just going to begin to worship God. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced spirit baptism. You've never, you've never felt the Holy Spirit come upon you with knowledge. You can this morning. Jesus said, if you'll ask, He'll come upon you. Maybe, maybe you've experienced spirit baptism, but my goodness, the whole issue... Of, of, of the upon of the Spirit, you are one dry well this morning and you just feel like, you know, if, if, if the bucket goes down in your well, all it does is go clank, clank, clank and there's not much there and you want your well refilled this morning. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I feel like I got a full well but, but you know, I really haven't been able to 
enter into spiritual language. And I want to do that this morning. All right? Without, without, without lapel pins, without saying you got it, don't got it. I just, I just want to be able to pray in the Holy Spirit. And others of you pray regularly in the Holy Spirit. But God wants to bring you to a new level of praying in the Spirit. God wants to bring you to a new level of power. God wants to bring you to a new level of anointing this morning. And, and I'm not going to call different people to come up at different times so we just determine, you know, who's got it and who got I don't really care. But if you're hungry this morning, I just want you to come and stand here this morning. And I hope, hope it will be a lot of you. Man, it would be wonderful with all of you. But, you know, this is not obligatory. But if you are hungry for more of God, there is something about stepping out and saying, you know, I want this. I want this. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me. And, and I'm going to, I know all of our elders aren't here. Some are already coming. Hallelujah. But, but some of our elders are here. And I want elders to join me. And, 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 and Andrew join me. And Carol join me. And, 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 and we're just going to go around. We're just going to lay hands on people this morning. And, and, and when we lay our hand on you, it's not, not like, okay, that's when the anointing, that, that's where the anointing is. No, 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 no. It's, it's in you. It's in you. And you just, but, but that laying our hand on you is a, is a moment where your faith can be released. That whatever you desire from the Holy Spirit this morning, that you will receive it. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come this morning. Come this morning. Come in power this morning. Come, oh Holy Spirit. Fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit, oh God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pour your Spirit out upon us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So if that's your hunger, just come. Just come. Come and stand with me. Because I, I want to be full too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.